Welcome to Leading from Behind, a podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number eight, Exploring for Exceptions in First Sessions. Well, thank you for joining me once again here on Leading from Behind. In this episode, I'll make some final comments about the exploration of the client's preferred future in first sessions, and then we'll look at the next phase of the conversation with the client, asking about exceptions. Finally, in our resource section in this episode, we'll identify a few older yet classic books that might be of interest to solution-focused practitioners. So, once again, thanks for dropping in. I hope you'll find this episode helpful in your understanding of solution-focused practice. In our last few episodes, we've been looking at a central aspect of the conversation in a first solution-focused session, the detailed exploration of and follow-up to the miracle question. Now, to close this discussion, I'd like to make three final points about this part of the session. First, I'd like to emphasize some good reasons for ensuring that we have a very comprehensive understanding of the client's preferred future. Second, I'd like to address the question of how much is enough in exploring the client's ideas about this. And third, I'd like to differentiate between the client's preferred future and the conventional notion of therapeutic goals. So first, a thick description of the client's preferred future following the miracle question significantly increases the likelihood that we're in sync with what's important to the client. Not only do we know about the client's best hope from the conversation, but we'll also have an understanding of how the client will know when these best hopes have been realized. Both are key aspects of a successful first session in solution-focused practice. Now, the remaining tasks in the first session after exploring the preferred future are strongly linked to the client's responses there. So it can be very hard for the client to locate useful responses to those remaining questions if we don't have an adequate description of what's wanted. As well, it can be more challenging to give meaningful feedback at the end of the session, and of course, it can make it hard to have an effective starting point if a follow-up session occurs. Now, it's also reasonable to ask, how much is enough when exploring the client's preferred future? While there isn't a pat answer to this, it might be best to say the following. We want to keep asking about the client's ideas about their preferred future until it seems clear that he or she has truly run out of useful answers. Now, this might be when our clients are simply clear about this, or when our own judgment suggests that we've reached the end of this line of questioning. Also, knowing when to move on from questions about the client's preferred future may also be a matter of time management. Given the time limitations in the session, we want to make room for the remaining questions and activities that characterize a first session in solution-focused therapy. Finally, in solution-focused practice, it's important to note that we don't necessarily look at the client's ideas about preferred future as being the goals in therapy. Instead, it's sometimes more helpful to think about this as the client's desired destination. In keeping with the belief that small changes lead to larger change, our role is to collaborate with our clients in building momentum toward this destination. We'll also trust that our clients will have their own expertise about how long the therapeutic relationship is necessary for this purpose. So, after concluding our exploration of the client's preferred future in a first session, our attention moves to the notion of exceptions. 
In particular, this means an exploration of the times, however small and infrequent, where some or even all of the client's preferred future already occurs. Now, as mentioned in previous episodes, the idea of exceptions in solution-focused practice is based on our assumption that problems don't happen all the time. In a first session, there are certainly times when conversation about exceptions may occur at any time, even during the client's description of the problem. Generally, though, it's important during the first session not to jump in too quickly to explore exceptions until after exploring the client's preferred future. For example, if we jump on exceptions while hearing the client's story and how problems show up in her life, we run the risk that the client will not feel heard and understood. This would be an example of being solution-forced rather than solution-focused, something that happens when we give too much attention to using solution-focused questions and techniques instead of listening to what's important to our client. Now, to assist in our exploration of exceptions during a first session, let's go back to our case example from the previous episodes. Our client, a young woman named Rachel, has been describing her preferred future. Among other things, she has told us how she would get up promptly in the morning, eat a healthy breakfast, and prepare a nutritious lunch to take to work. She also has some ideas about how she would be different when she was at work. In addition, Rachel noted that she would be going to the gym again on a regular basis, and she had ideas about the good things that would come from this. In her relationship with her partner Alex, Rachel also reported how she would be more patient, and she gave us some details about what each of them would be doing when a sense of partnership had returned to the relationship. So, given that we have a good understanding of Rachel's preferred future, it's time to ask about exceptions, times when even small parts of her miracle already occur. Here, then, is how this question sounds in the session, as well as Rachel's first response. So, Rachel, are there times even now and even just a little bit, when this miracle we've been talking about already happens even just a little? Well, I guess so. I mean, I've been to the gym a couple of times, but I just haven't been able to keep it going. Now, when the client identifies an exception, there are several things we want to pay attention to. First, we want to understand how the exception occurred what's different about these times, and, in particular, what the client did that enabled it to occur. Now, the questions we ask here come from a place of curiosity and the belief that our clients have expertise about their own lives. So here is my follow-up question to Rachel about this exception. And how did you manage to do that, to get yourself to go to the gym? Well, I just know that I've got to do it. I mean, I know it's going to make me feel better eventually. Rachel's response certainly underlines her own expertise about why going to the gym is a good idea for her. Again, the benefits of doing this may seem quite obvious to anyone. However, our purpose here, once again, is to invite Rachel to hear the sound of her own voice. Now, in continuing to explore this exception, we can also ask further questions that come from a place of curiosity. So I ask for further detail about how Rachel accomplished this exception. So what did you say to yourself that helps you to go on those occasions? I don't know. I, I guess I just told myself I had to go. Now, similar to our follow-up questions after the miracle question, it's also important to continue to ask about further exceptions. Again, we do this because of our assumptions that change is constant and inevitable and that problems don't happen all the time. It's reasonable to believe, therefore, that there can be more than just a single exception. So here, I ask Rachel about further exceptions. 
And other times, Rachel, when this miracle has already happened, even just a little bit? Well, I'm trying to eat better. It's hard. But I've had a few days where I've made my lunch and brought it to work like I used to, rather than just grabbing something, you know, quick from the cafeteria. Once again, I want to be curious about how this exception occurred. And again, invite Rachel's expertise in describing what she might have done or done differently that enabled the exception to occur. And how have you managed to do that? What's, what's different on those days? You know, it's just about making time and planning and having the energy for it. I don't know how I did it on those days, but I just did it. Now, when we hear about exceptions from our clients, we also want to look for opportunities to amplify the client's behavior or actions. Again, this is similar to our efforts in the follow-up to the miracle question. And what difference did it make on those days when you, you brought your lunch? I know I felt better on those days. Like I did something right. But it's keeping it going, you know? Of course. Now, so far, Rachel has provided us with exceptions that have arisen from her actions. Quite often, however, our clients will reveal exceptions that appear to be either random, with no clear reason for their occurrence, or exceptions that occur because of someone else or an external event. For example, if I was your client and part of my preferred future was to spend more time relaxing at home, I might say that an exception occurred several weeks ago. And if you asked what was different on that occasion, I might tell you that a snowstorm occurred and that my employer was closed for the day. Obviously, this would be a random exception created by an outside event. Nevertheless, it might still be worth exploring the difference this made, as well as uncovering what I did on that day that reflected a period of relaxation. Now, as mentioned, sometimes clients will identify that an exception occurred due to the behavior of someone else, in the same way they might do during the exploration of their preferred future. Once again, though, we would want to keep our focus on the client's actions during this exception. So here, in our final example, Rachel identifies her partner's role in creating an exception. As a result, I try to bring the focus back on her part in the exception. And... Any other times when things have been more like you want them to be? Well, as I said before, you know, things with Alex have been better. We're getting along better, and he's definitely making more of an effort. And you, how have you been able to do your part of this, despite everything? I guess I'm not as angry with him. Now that we've really talked about some things, and I'm seeing that he's trying... Now, it's certainly possible in the first session that our clients may not be able to locate any exceptions, or at the very least, meaningful ones. However, as the practitioner, it's important to keep in mind that it's not easy sometimes for our clients to identify exceptions. As human beings, we usually have some pretty good awareness about the times when problems occur. For example, a period of anxiety or low mood likely stands out for us far more than moments when we're relaxed or in a positive mood. Nevertheless, we do want to be gently persistent in our pursuit of exceptions and, at the same time, be patient in allowing our clients room to think. Now, we'll be coming back to the subject of exceptions during our exploration of follow-up sessions in future episodes. They're an integral element of solution-focused practice, and our ability to elicit and shine a light on useful exceptions in our clients' lives can create hope and reinforce the possibilities for positive change. (laughs) 
In the resource segment of the podcast today, I'd like to briefly highlight two books that stand the test of time in describing solution-focused practice. The first book is Becoming Solution-Focused in Practice, written by John Walter and Jane Peller. Published in 1992, this book offers a clear and comprehensive overview of the approach. Along with interviewing for solutions, it remains, even today, a useful tool for those who are new to the approach. The second book of note is Working with the Problem Drinker by Insu Kimberg and Scott Miller. Also published in 1992, this book remains notable for two reasons. First, it's a great example of how the solution-focused approach can be used in working with substance abuse, an area of practice that has strong links to problem-focused approaches. And secondly, putting the issue of alcohol abuse aside, the book itself provides an excellent overview of the approach, particularly in how it locates what's important to clients and what they might want from the therapeutic conversation. And on a personal note, this was the first solution-focused book I read in my career as a therapist, and I found it extremely useful in developing my understanding of the approach. So we've reached the end of this episode, and I'd like to thank you again for joining me. In Episode 9, we'll move into the next element of a first session in solution-focused therapy by looking at scaling questions. Scaling questions, of course, are another key and useful element in solution-focused practice, so we'll take a close look at how they're used in first sessions. In closing, if this episode has been helpful in your practice, please feel free to let us know. Or if there's something we could do or do differently to help your understanding of solution-focused therapy, again, don't hesitate to get in touch. Comments or questions can be left on the Leading From Behind podcast page on our website at hbtc.ca, or you can send an email to feedback at hbtc.ca. Again, as a reminder, new episodes of Leading From Behind are available on or about the 15th and 30th of each month. You can also subscribe to the podcast through iTunes. Follow the link on the podcast page at hbtc.ca to access the free subscription, or look for us in the iTunes store in the training subcategory of the education section. Finally, thanks again to my colleague Debbie Van Horn for her assistance with our case example, and of course Dano from danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. The music used in the podcast is entitled Seven Skies. So you've been listening to Leading From Behind, the solution-focused therapy podcast, episode number eight. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I hope you'll join us again. Thank you.